Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thank you for joining us today. We're very excited about the show today. Phil, what's going on today? Yeah, we, we have another uh, great one to continue the refugee crisis series. This is the third installment. And today we have Halil Suleiman with uh, World Vision. And he's doing some amazing work you're going to hear about. I'll, I'll do a little bit uh, more of an introduction of him a little bit later. But we also have some uh, great stuff from, from you, Karen, uh, that you know about, fortunately, uh, on uh, resilience here in a little bit with the Ask Dr. Karen segment. A couple recommendations at the end. And, and we'll just, uh, we're going to start it off, though, with ta- sharing with you a little bit uh, about a couple conferences that are coming up that may interest uh, many of you in the audience, whether you're here in the U.S. or there, and there's also one. Uh, down in Guatemala. So Karen, can you share about the uh, Together for Adoption conference coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Get excited, guys. Um, Get your calendars out. Start looking on the internet at togetherforadoption.org. But the Together for Adoption annual conference is back on this year. And we're really excited to provide those details for you. It's going to be this year. It's actually in September. It's September 29th through 30th in Woodstock, Georgia. It's going to be filled with a really um, large amount of great and excellent speakers that I would love to be able to hear. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to be there this year, but I'm very excited to let you guys know about those speakers. Um, some of the, the guests that are going to be speaking at Together for Adoption have actually been on the Think Orphan podcast, and we're excited about that. And there's probably going to be some people speaking that we're going to get to have on our show as well. So Together for Adoption, September 29th through 30th in Woodstock, Georgia. Yeah, I'm excited about that one, too. We got uh, Jason Kovacs who, and Dan Kruver who put that on, and Jason was on the show before. We're going to get Dan on someday when we can figure out our schedules, but Rick Morton and John Bergeron and uh, Herbie Newell, uh, some other folks that, that I know you'll learn a ton from. Uh, there's also a, a conference coming up on September 9, if you're anywhere near Guatemala. It's uh, the Defending the Cause of the Orphan. Um little summit down there that uh, we're, I get to be a part of. I'm going to be speaking there with Jed Medifin, my great friend, some other folks that, that, that I know you know. So you can definitely uh, check that out. Just just Google the Defending the Cause um, of the Orphan Summit down in Guatemala City. Uh, and then I believe that the Together for Adoption is togetherforadoption.org, but we'll have both of those links on the, on the show notes as well. And I hope uh, that, uh, that we can see you guys there. So now we get to come to one of my favorite segments. This is this has fast become one of my favorite things uh, to hear uh, every time we're recording, and it's the Ask Dr. Karen segment. Uh, so Karen, I want you to share with uh, with our audience uh, just a little nugget on resilience. All right, guys. So. This is going to be super relevant to our show today, and um, it's a really great topic. It's a great topic for parents. It's a great topic for teachers. It's a great topic for anyone, really, who has any interaction with children and teenagers. And actually, it's it's actually relevant to adults, too. So um, the term resilience or resiliency, essentially, it's the ability to overcome some type of serious hardship or uh, traumatic event or tragedy or even a threat to a tragedy. So essentially, resiliency is this kind of factor, this uh, like an umph factor that children or teenagers or even adults have that help them to um, adapt and actually thrive 
life, even though they've experienced some type of adversity or trauma or threat of a trauma. And one of the really important things to understand with resiliency is that we really don't know exactly why some children or some teenagers tend to respond better and adapt better in Um, significant situations of trauma. We don't know exactly why, but the number one thing that we do know, the most common factor that we know related to resiliency is one stable and committed relationship from a parent or a caregiver or another significant adult. So what I'm saying in other words is that we know that kids have a better chance of bouncing back in the face of trauma, in the face of adversity, if they have one significant, stable, safe, and nurturing relationship with a parent or a caregiver or another important adult in their life. And so when we think about the children who are impacted by the refugee crisis, um, you'll hear today in our show some great, great words of wisdom related to the way that um, World Vision is impacting children's lives and setting up really specific interventions for children. But one of the number one things that we hear is that we need for children to actually understand that there is hope. We need for children and teenagers and adults too, but especially for children and teenagers, we need for them to understand that it's okay to still dance. It's okay to still listen or sing Mm -hmm. um, songs, listen to music or sing songs that are a part of their culture. It's so important for them to remember pieces and aspects of their culture, not just remembering it, but still practicing that, whether that's through prayer or art or dance or music of just giving children opportunities to be children through play and through having fun and through drawing and through doing kids things. We also need to give children opportunities to um, be able to plan for the future. And so you'll hear a little bit today in our show about what does it look like for kiddos who they don't know when things are going to end. They don't know when things are going to get better, but what we know and related to resiliency and how do we, how do we help kids adapt well in the face of adversity and trauma is we want to make sure that we're implementing aspects of their culture. We want to make sure that we're allowing children to play. Children communicate through play and children communicate through art. We want to continue to give them those opportunities and we want to help them to be able to still plan for their future, even though that future may actually be very open-ended Phil. Mm. That is so good. That is so good. And you know, it's something we talk about a lot. We, in fact, we were just talking about before we started recording, just about uh, the importance of our kids, our own kids playing, just playing, just having fun and being kids. And that gets so lost, um, you know, in our, in our world here in the suburbs of, of the United States. And so, you know, it's just so important to, to remember how we can do that. So thanks for, thanks for sharing those words. And and, you know, I just realized, too, as I, as I was uh, listening to you, I also was thinking about the, the, the uh, conference that I'll be speaking at in, in Guatemala. I, I really kind of cheated because I call it the Defending the Cause. It's actually def- Defiende la Causa del Huérfano. So I just wanted to make sure that my friends in Guatemala were not upset at me for, for using the English version of that. So that is actually what, you, what you're looking to Google when you're, when you're looking for that in, in, in Guatemala. And so I, I do look forward to, to having you all down there. Unfortunately, you won't be hearing me speak in Spanish the entire time I'm down there because I will be doing the, the breakout session I'm going to be doing in English. So I apologize for that in advance. But now we get to hear from... Halil Sleiman, and he is the World Vision's Humanitarian Response Director in Iraq and Syria. He shares some amazing things with us in this interview, and you are in for a treat. So without more from me, here's Halil. 
Well, Khalil, it is so good to finally get you here on the show. Thank you so much, Phil. The pleasure is all mine. Yeah, you know, uh, Khalil, you're doing some uh, amazing work with uh, World Vision. I'm so glad that uh, we we met at uh, Q Nashville a few uh, a couple months ago, and I was able to hear you speak on a few occasions. And when I heard you, I thought, you know what, we absolutely need to get you um, on Think Orphan to be able to share with uh, you know our audience about the work that you're doing, the work that World Vision's doing, and really just help us to understand. Um, this refugee crisis, which, you know, has been described as, you know, the greatest humanitarian crisis of, of our time. And, and so, um, you know, before we get into that, I know most of the, most of our audience really doesn't know, uh, who you are, doesn't know anything about you. And so can you just share your story, briefly share your story with our audience and, you know, particularly how, uh, you got to where you are today, how your experience as a refugee shaped your life and, uh, why you work with World Vision is, uh, so important to you. Thank you for the opportunity, Phil. It's a pleasure also to be uh, to be with you on the show. So uh, my name is Khalid Sleiman, and I'm from Lebanon. I come from a small village in the south. It's called Abra. Uh, so uh, during uh, during the Lebanese War uh, from the 70, 75 up till uh, 91, I was still in Lebanon myself and my family as well. And uh, we were also displaced. I was refugee in my own country uh, in Lebanon, and we had to leave uh, my village, lose everything, and start again uh, when we were displaced to uh, to, a, to safe area in uh, in Beirut. So, uh, so for sure, I where I I kept on uh, going to school and then university until I had a master's in agriculture engineering and uh, started to work with World Vision. So uh, I started uh, this work of uh, refugees and IDPs and work in crisis in 2006 during the Lebanese uh, July war um, in Lebanon. And uh, suddenly everything started to, all the memories started to flood again to my head when I was myself a refugee, uh, a refugee with my family and having to stay at school and moving uh, different places. So... uh, so it's the same, I can say, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to express the feeling and uh, find the right word because you are on the same, uh, in the same uh, game, if I can say, but on the other side, being a refugee is one thing, but helping refugees is another thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, in our discussion, we will be talking more about things that World Vision is doing now and how I'm, I'm, I'm being honored to be in such a great organization to be able to support and serve uh, the people, the children and the families in need. Uh, the children that once in my life, I was part of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one of the things you talked about um, at Q was uh, really, you know, the the trauma you experienced, and you kind of touched on this in that last answer, but the trauma you experienced as a refugee really impacts your life today. But one of the things that you talked about was how you were able to embrace hope and not hatred as a refugee child. And, you know, I would love for you to, to kind of share that with our audience. Yeah. Um, I was, I was blessed and I was lucky to, uh, as I said, to be able to serve as people were serving serving me and my family at some point. But this experience, uh, it shaped 
it shaped my it shaped me it it it, it brought another khalil to uh, to the work so it was a motivator it was an inspiration for me uh, it gave me another perspective to see how these refugees are feeling so i was able to to forget everything related to the case and the root causes of why of what happened with me and with my family and take it to the other perspective and use it as a positive uh, inspiration for me so that i'm able to give more from all my heart the thing that when 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 i am serving these people i put myself in their shoes i try and i try and i always try to gain their hearts and their minds before i serve them i know very well i know this feeling of losing everything and they have lost everything so so understanding their background and understanding what they need more than the food kit more than the hygiene kit more the old activity that we are doing they they need to see humanitarian spirit standing next to them understanding what they are feeling so after you see and you live with people who have lost everything there is no place anymore for hatred there is no place anymore but for love and for doing the job that you are created to be uh, to be doing so so it's becoming like for me it was a more a, a as i said and i ended with it like a motivator and an inspiration a pure inspiration for me to serve these children and their families yeah, it, it really, you know, like so much of this work that we're doing anywhere around the world with with uh, other people, you know, it, it's it starts with empathy. It starts with listening. It starts with understanding them. And it sounds like that's what you're saying there. Yeah. Totally agree, sir. Yeah. So, you know, let, let's get into the the scope and the of the of the refugee crisis today in our world. And, you know, it's something that you're working with every day. It's something that we hear about in the news. But, you know, can you give us the kind of the real um, story from your perspective um, of the of the kind of the massive scope of it? But then also bring it down to the personal level, maybe with a story to make it uh, tangible for our listeners. Sure. Uh, the refugee crisis now uh, in, in nowadays is the biggest for sure uh, and we have in, in the whole world we have 65 million refugees 13 million refugees are in Syria crisis where I'm serving mm. uh, these people especially the the young and and the, and, and the children they are really living in a dilemma uh, they don't uh, they are not seeing what will happen next no one knows what will happen what will happen next the future is so vague and this crisis is so is so um, unstable so every day something something new can happen uh, every day we have a new development they don't know even even being refugees they are not safe still because it's it's like a it's like a crisis moving all over the all over the middle east now it's in Syria, we are seeing what's happening in Iraq and in other places. Even where the refugees are staying, they are not feeling the safety and they are not feeling the full security a refugee needs to have. So, uh, so when it's a little bit different from uh, when 
uh, when 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 it is it was my case because during my case it was the war only in Lebanon the small country in the Middle East where everyone was like having peace but Lebanon was having this uh, if I can say civil, uh, religious um, uh, war, and it was very, very frightening on a smaller scale. So we were moving. I can remember very well how we were having the news that our village will be bombed. So we were moving from our house to the school to stay there for one night or another or two nights. Then we know that the area where we are, it will be also bombed. Then we have to move to another area. So... Living this experience as a child with no stability, with uh, with no stability, with also, we don't know what will happen. We don't know what will future will hold. So this is a common thing. But the difference is like it was a smaller scale. And, uh, and we know if in case we go outside Lebanon, for example, maybe we will have the safety. And this is what happens with a lot of people. They left uh, their homes and they left Lebanon to live abroad. However, what is happening today, this this does not exist. This does not exist anymore. Even if you go from the war zone to a more to a safer place and with more security, you still don't uh, don't feel that the future will will hold a better thing and a better life and uh, that 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 is ahead of us. And this is what we are seeing in the eyes of the children and in the eyes of the adult, living in small camps, living uh, some places among uh, the host communities. So, uh, and and maybe later on we can touch a little bit on the tension that this may create. Yeah. Well, why don't we do that right now? Why don't we uh, just talk about that as far as the tension that 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 does create. Exactly. So, uh, so, so basically, uh, this is how it starts with with all the crisis, and this is a normal uh, this is a normal graph for it. When it starts, like everyone is hosting it, accepting people coming to live because they came from a war zone. But if this crisis will uh, will go longer, then things will become more tense. Uh, the resources will become less, and the competition will become bigger. And everyone wants to generate income where there is no lot of works. So this kind of competition and this kind of insecurity of, of, of having new people living within a community, this can create a lot of, uh, a lot of tension and a lot of uh, thinking of uh, what may happen if uh, the refugees are staying in this context or they are not living in this context. All over the world, like in, and let me give you an example in Lebanon. In Lebanon, the the official figure is like one million five hundred thousand refugees, while in Lebanon we have around two million or maybe more, for a population of three million and five hundred mm. in a small country like Lebanon. If you come also to Jordan, we have huge number of refugees also in Jordan with uh, with uh, with um, uh, the population is not huge as well. So everyone, uh, even if the organization like World Vision and other humanitarian organizations are supporting as much as we can, but the crisis is so big and the needs are so big and they are growing day by day. So people, they need to start looking for their own, uh, for their own income generation uh, works or activities. And, uh, and, uh, and the options are not really, are not really a lot. 
So you are from one end, it's economic, uh, it's economic problem. From the other end, it's commercial problem. From the other end, it's education problem because the children and the schools and none of the none of these of these uh, countries they have the full capacities. For example, the schools and the teachers uh, to fulfill the needs of the children. The health. So, uh, but most importantly, is the social threat that is creating the use or maybe the abuse of uh, the refugees and maybe of the hosting community. Not everyone, not uh, uh, all the people are having a positive uh, or having this humanitarian uh, perspective to work with the refugees. Maybe some of them will be searching for his own uh, personal benefits. So so this is really a, a factor that is, is growing day by day. And as long as the crisis will keep on moving and growing as long as this uh, this kind of uh, uh, this kind of problems and challenges will be happening uh, in the field i can end with one example if you look at the garden the middle east and this region is like a garden if you look on top of the of the ground you see individual trees different trees uh, separate one from the other but if you go beneath, the roots are so interrelated, the roots are so connected. And if one of these trees uh, will be infected by a virus, the virus may go to all the trees in, uh, in the same garden if we don't find a solution for it. And this is what is happening in our region. Hmm. And unfortunately, because the refugee crisis all over the world is so big, 65 million, I can assume that the same problem and the same challenges are happening uh, everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And you kind of touched on the the children and the education and the health and the you know just their experience uh, as refugees. Um, you know, you obviously were a child refugee, as we talked about earlier. Um, what, what is the reality for that child who who you know often has no idea what's going on? Um, yeah. And uh, you know. Do you think it's different today than it was for you, or do you think it's a very similar feeling for those children? And and what what is that? And how can we kind of understand that better as we're uh, seeking to to get involved? Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, being a refugee, uh, I think we share a lot of uh, we, sh- we share same feelings or a lot of feelings. Uh, knowing that the context may be different, but the feelings are the same. Uh, if you look at the eyes of these children, you know that they don't understand what's happening and why this is happening and for when this will happen. So you see in their eyes that they have no dreams, they have no security, and uh, at some point they have no hope. So they are playing. Sometimes they, you look at them and you see they are children, but when they go and they are with their uh, with their families or uh, in, uh, in 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 groups, they hear what what is said, and they analyze what is said. And a lot of people, they uh, of children during our work, they were coming to us and telling us that um, we know that we are not coming back soon. We know that there is war where we are. We know that we have lost uh, we have lost uh, our village or our house. Even if they are saying this, 
but you can't imagine the feeling that was, that will be inside of you and in your heart when when you feel it speaking or saying it is different than feeling it and i'm saying this based on on my uh, based on my experience uh, they are fed up of uh, of being uh, being where they are every one of them they have lost a, their house to come to stay in a tent or in a caravan they lost with their families their privacy they lost their social life uh, they are not controlling their life other people are controlling their life other government are controlling their life for example the children are obliged to go to school for example at night or in the afternoon because there is no place for them in the morning and sometimes because they are afraid to be abused by other children or by the hosting communities i'm not saying this is happening everywhere but these are cases that we are facing and we know that and we all know that these cases happen when you have refugees and you have a crisis uh, so this feeling of insecurity this feeling of uh, of of looking at people that they don't want us they don't want me here they are not happy for me to be here i'm a burden on their shoulder this feeling kills especially mm-hmm. then you are not you are not seeing the end right you don't know when this will end right and that that brings a couple uh you know questions i have i have to follow up on that and and one is how do we bring hope to these children how do we bring it so that they will have um, an ability to see beyond um, in the in the midst of this just brutal uh, life that they're living right now. Yeah, uh, thank you for this question. Uh, it's it's very important, and this is exactly what we are focusing on uh, in parallel with uh, with the life saving activities that World Vision and also other organizations are doing. World Vision is really focusing on child protection component in every single project, in every single activity we are doing. So we are creating child-friendly spaces. We are cre- creating early education centers. And uh, we are uh, we are having uh, experts and doctors and uh, and people with, uh, with, uh, with a lot of experience so that they can work with these children. And they can, we can provide them a space where they can feel safe, where they can forget uh, what they, what uh, what happened, and I can I can share with you some examples. Having this, uh, some of the children living in, um, in 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 some territories before before they moved to to the camp, they were not using uh, they were not using uh, colors. They were only drawing with black. They were afraid to sing. They were afraid to play. They were afraid to draw something. So we are trying to provide them the space. We are trying to provide them to change their mentality. When at first they arrive to the camp and we do some kind of assessment with these children, they tell us uh, all the drawing is like killing, all the drawing is like tanks, all the drawing is like blood and air fighters. But after six months of working with with these children, they start to dream uh, or they start to... uh, to draw something else. Like they try to draw gardens, flower, hearts. They used color. It's it's really, they, they it was very difficult to 
to make them engage in our activities at the beginning. And, and the credit goes to, to the staff in the field that are also providing, uh, providing the service with passion, with heart, so, so that we can really reflect our will to, to these children. Yeah, that that is it's so good, and there's so much more to that. I know there's a there's a World Vision YouTube channel which has a great video on these child friendly spaces. Um, we'll we'll have a link to that in our show notes, um, and there's also other other great videos and, and information there. You can find out about the the work that World Vision's doing in connection with this, which we'll touch on a little bit more as well uh, later in our conversation. Um, but you know, you also talked about the fact that these kids just don't really see an end and, and a lot of us, you know, it's, it's hard to see any light at the end of the tunnel. Do you, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel for the crisis? Do you really, you know, is there realistically, um, an end game that we see at this point? Sorry to, to, to have a negative answer, Phil, but even from, from my, from where I stand, I don't see, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. I, I only see darkness up till now. What's happening in our region and what's happening also for these children and their families is, is, is becoming international game. It's becoming regional game. Uh, too many people for one game. And it's becoming so hard to know what will, what will happen next. It is too hard. This is the reality. Mm-hmm. This is the reality in the field. And this is what everyone is, is talking about. Yeah. So, so sorry. I wish I can have a positive answer, and I I wish I can have, or anyone can have, at least a timeline uh, when you know that this will this will end. But we are fed up of counting the dead people every day. We are fed up to being on the news. We are fed up to hear of attack here and there. We are fed up of of seeing people leaving uh, and, and, and children crying. Seriously, it's becoming a game with no end. So in the midst of that, I mean, how is World Vision and, and you, I mean, how do you go into it every day knowing that? And, and I, I appreciate the, the honesty, you know, that it's not, you know, let's not paint this with a, a positive spin. Let's, let's give the reality because that's what we need to do to really engage it and engage all these issues that we're trying to, to work uh, to alleviate and, and to work to solve. Um, so how is World Vision uh, entering into it? How are you entering into it to say, you know what, even though it's a dim, dark picture, we know there's things we can do every day. And, and you know, you talked about the child-friendly spaces. What else uh, are you and World Vision doing every day to, uh, to jump yeah. into this and, and engage it? We have uh, the other part that I didn't talk about in World Vision is we, we talked a little bit about the field part, like child friendly spaces, the activities, everything with the refugees. But also there, uh, there is a, a huge part of our work and being, a, being the biggest organization and having support offices in different countries in this world and having, uh, uh, having uh, built the trust with donors and with government. So we are doing a parallel work so that we keep on moving in fulfilling the needs of these children and their families. So, uh, so we have uh, we have uh, our communication. This kind of uh, this kind of meeting now or this interview that we are, we are doing together, we do it a lot. 
and we provide uh, we provide the numbers, we provide assessments, we provide realities. We ask people to come to visit and to see in the field what is happening, uh, so that they can give they can get a closer look of how things are are happening uh, uh, in the field and on the ground. So uh, we try with our uh, YouTube channel, we try with our blogs, we try with our Facebook pages to 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 get. Uh, to get as much support as we can get so that not only World Vision, but also the supporters of, of World Vision, the partnership, the friends, uh, everyone in this world who trusts World Vision to, to, to give a hand so that every one of us can, can have a small stone in this building uh, so that we can keep on going. This is what we, are, we count for. We pray a lot, we work a lot, and we we are determined that we want to keep on doing what uh, what God has uh, has called us to do, and to 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 support these uh, to support these families and these children. So uh, so it's uh, it's a whole different story and a whole different kind of work when you are in the office. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I also know that World Vision is is collaborating with with. Uh, local churches and different uh, organizations throughout the Middle East, throughout the world, really. Um, how important is that collaboration to the work that you're doing? You, you know, World Vision is obviously a massive organization, can do a lot of work on its own, but, but you realize and you know this is much too big and much, much too important to say we can take care of it all on our own. So how do you guys collaborate and, and why is it so important to do so? Yeah. So basically, even if World Vision uh, is, uh, is is a big organization, uh, maybe uh, for sure the biggest, but we still we always look at having uh, real partners and work with the hosting communities. Uh, our work with the church, being a Christian organization, is a strategic decision whenever we are in in a community and there is an active church, because working with an organization church or local organization uh, and creating this kind of partnership and trust, it only brings value to our work. And we can also skip a lot of miles to walk before we trust, uh, we, we gain the trust of the community. When you go, when you come into a new context and you start working with an en- entity that is already trusted by the government, so it's like you have, you have broken the ice earlier and then you, you can touch the heart and the mind of the, the communities um, faster. We, as World Vision, we believe that we, uh, we build trust through our needs. So, uh, but, but at the beginning, for sure, you need to have the space and the opportunity so that you can show these people uh, in need that you are here to serve them with no discrimination, only we are a needs-driven organization. So basically, uh, it's a strategic decision. Even if we are a big organization, we always learn from new contexts. We, uh, we always learn from uh, the local communities because this is how you build a strong program when you have people from this community uh, shaping your response, shaping your activities, and also providing you advices how, uh, how you need to get uh, into doing, uh, doing a good work. Churches, uh, churches are almost all over the world are strongest partners for World Vision. 
uh, we have built this uh, trust relation and this partnership relation. And in many countries, we are uh, we are in a very good relation and partnership with the churches, so that we are able to to provide them with what we know and to learn from them as well, and to be able to reach uh, the community in needs together. Yeah, and that's so important to to understand. We talk a lot about collaboration on on Think Orphan, and and you know you, the listeners out there who have listened to a lot of these episodes know that you know it's such a critical conversation that big organizations are able to do a lot of amazing things, have a lot of amazing resources. Smaller organizations, like you said, are able to do things that big organizations often can't when it comes to local context, when it comes to trust development, when it comes to you know understanding the local community. And so we we really do need each other, and uh, you know I. I so appreciate that that collaborative spirit um, that uh, that I'm definitely seeing and in, in talking with you, but also seeing throughout the materials that I've been able to research for what World Vision's doing. So you know, if you're out there and you know you're looking for you know ways to to partner with uh, with World Vision with other organizations, I, I really take what you just said to heart that, you know, there are things that both of us can bring to the table. Same thing with big churches, small churches, you know, there are things that each can bring that we need to work together. We're, we're on the same team. You know, we are, we are working, um, hopefully together for the kingdom and, uh, to, to go as companions is a lot, a lot more effective. So, um, with that, you know, there's, there's another thing that is just, you know, often the elephant in the room when we're talking about the refugee crisis, you know, the media paints these pictures of, uh, you know, the crisis. It's hard to know what to believe in different media outlets, different news sources, different internet, TV, whatever it may be. You know, what, what would you say, you know, you'd want, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier, but if there's anything else to add, I wanted to give you the opportunity to really just speak into, you know, first of all, you know, uh, what are the realities of the crisis that, that may not be accurately being represented by the media um, that you want the, uh, their audience to, uh, to understand? Um, but also how we can, you know, if there are any sources that you know of, um, maybe something World Vision's putting out or other things that we can go to to get the real picture as real as we can um, to understand the crisis a bit better. Yeah. Uh, so, so basically, all the you know all the communication material that World Vision is uh, is sharing uh, is sharing with the public. Uh, we are trying through these materials, just as I said, Yanni, to get a as 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 closer look as we can get. The thing that sometimes we don't see uh, we don't see in the media is the real the real heart of of a refugee. And unfortunately, sometime, sometime in the media, we highlight one point uh, and we forget uh, a lot others, uh, other points. So as much as it is real and as much as it's close, but when you touch the reality, when, when, when you live with these people, it gives you another, another feeling and another, um, another perspective to look at, uh, to look at this crisis. You feel yourself one of one of these people. So, so basically, it's hard for me as well to uh, uh, seriously feel to 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 explain uh, to explain this feeling. I sometimes I do some thinking like, how how can I uh, explain my feeling when I am in, in a camp, or when I when I do a discussion with a, with a child, 
and you see that he's, he's talking of something, he's not his age. These people, instead of talking, where are we, what, what, um, where I will sleep next, how I'm going to eat, uh, what kind of support I will get when I will have the next food ration, they need to be looking of, of what I want to be in the future, when I can play, uh, to, the look to his mom and dad uh, sitting there doing nothing is is um, it hurts a lot as well. So uh, so uh, so yeah, it's um, it's it's very it's very difficult for me to ex- to to explain more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smell in the camp, uh, the the interaction with these people, it gives a whole it it takes you to a whole new world. Yeah. We asked yeah. we asked we asked several people uh, what is refugee? What do you understand by refugee? None of them was able to give us an answer. Mm. They don't know that they are they don't know what they are. Mm. Yeah, and this is something that sorry, this is something that we missed to share. Yeah, you know, it's it's so difficult because as as you said to to experience it, it's so hard for you to explain and you to describe and you actually lived it, you know. And so that's something that I think is is just with a lot of the work that we're doing around the world, whatever it may be, you know, it's so hard to explain it if you've never been there and tasted it and smelled it and lived it and actually gotten to know the individuals. And that's why I think it's so important to, to hear yeah, those individual yeah. stories and to actually meet people who have mm-hmm. and are going through it. Um, with that being said, there are some things that we can do. There are some ways the global church can respond to the crisis. And I just want to, you know, kind of finish up our conversation with this and a couple other questions we ask all our guests. But, you know, how can and should, and this is something that you're, you're engaging the church. That's what you do, you know. And, and so how are ways that we can respond to the crisis, um, knowing that what, you know, a quote, one of your quotes from Q was, there's no need for a needs assessment because they need everything. Um, exactly. Knowing that... How can, how can we, you know, I say we, meaning our audience, people who are, some of our audience is in, you know, are in these, you know, zones in these areas where it's, it's actually the crisis is hitting those areas. But for those who are outside those areas as well, how can we um, engage this crisis um, in gospel driven ways? The best way, the best way to do it is to come together and to unify our, uh, our strength and our resources and to focus, really focus on the needs. As I was saying, uh, as I said in, in Q, like really there is no need for a need assessment because this, these people, they need everything. And as I said at the beginning, as longer as this, this crisis is still ongoing, as much as the needs will be growing. I, I believe that every single person can, can have a role in, uh, in bringing the smile back to a child by working with organizations like World Vision, by supporting organizations like World Vision and churches uh, that are doing uh, doing uh, doing some uh, uh, some respectful and appreciated work uh, with the refugees in this crisis. So, um, for sure, by praying, for sure, by sharing resources, for sure, by by coming together to face uh, this problem. I don't see any other way for any organization but uh, to be able to, so that we can stand together, so that we can face the needs in the field. 
Yeah, and, and one you know question I know here in the United States, I know some other Western countries. There's a you know the conversation has turned not to how can we help the people, but should they be coming into our country? You know, should they should we have refugees to be able to enter? You know, what's the process? All these different conversations, and you know, I think sometimes it's it's taking us away from the real issues sometimes, but it, it is at the same time a real issue that I think we need to really um, examine. And I just wanted to, uh, again, give you the opportunity to, to maybe talk to some of the people in the U.S., other countries who are basically saying, I don't want to let these people in because the terrorism, because other, you know, reasons that may be, you know, similar to that. But just really it's a, a fear, a fear-based response. You know, how would you respond to someone who, who would say something like that to you? Yeah. So, so basically, we we try as much as possible to be away from uh, from any kind of uh, to 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 merge like uh, a humanitarian crisis with political decisions or opinion. We try to do. Uh, we always try to do our work when it is uh, when it is uh, when we are called to do it. Mm-hmm. We have uh, we have a humanitarian uh, humanitarian law and principles. Uh, from my perspective, these principles are are my guide for uh, for 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 refugees and for IDPs. I can understand coming from a context where the majority of the people are refugees. I can understand uh, uh, the challenge of it, but I know very well that there are always systems and there are always ways to make things easier for everyone and to be part of helping and supporting uh, within a crisis. So instead of instead of the rejection, let's be creative and find ways. This is, this is how I see it, uh, Phil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to start from the side of how can we help rather than the assumption that we got to be self-protective and self-preservation. Is that kind mm-hmm. of what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So uh, the last uh, couple questions we ask all of our guests and uh, the time always goes so fast in these conversations. I can't believe we've been talking as long as we have already. But, uh, you know, is there something you've, you've read, watched or listened to that has uh, really impacted your thinking on uh, how we can inv- engage this crisis, how we can love orphan and vulnerable children better? Yeah, I am reading I'm reading a book uh uh, was written by um, CEO in uh, World Vision US, Hall in Our Gospel. It's really uh, influential and this, uh, it's really like uh, an inspiration. It, it, it really makes you feel like a human and it's really make you feel uh, your role and your way of doing things. It's the same, you, you will be having, the, I, I, I invite everyone to read it. It gives you the feeling of... Uh, of you as a human being again, you know, and your role as a human being and what you can do uh, toward your uh, your brothers and, uh, and sisters. So this is something that uh, it impacted me a lot. Yeah, it is a great book. I've, I've read that, The Hold in the yeah. Gospel by uh, Richard Stearns. It's fantastic. Exactly. Fantastic exactly. book. Um, I also recommend that too. Um, the last question, uh, what, uh, what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can uh, love orphan and at-risk children with excellence, how we can engage this uh, refugee mm-hmm. crisis uh, in ways that uh, honor our God? Well, if I look where I am now and in what organization I'm working, I can say that my, my idol is uh, the founder of World Vision, uh, Bob Pierce. 
all what he did at the beginning and how he started and in uh, what context he started and with who it's really something that uh, it's it's uh, it's a, it's a miracle how he started where he started and with who he started and look where world vision is is now so uh, so for me this is a person that uh, that, uh, that is an idol and a leader mm. well, that's great well Hilio, thank you so much for um for your time thank you for your life thank you for all that you're doing um for people that often are forgotten and uh thank you just for giving sharing your wisdom with our audience today phil thank you for this opportunity and um and yes let's stand let's stand together the crisis is bigger than all of us well, as promised, Halil had some amazing things to share with us. Uh, Karen, Karen, what'd you think? Well, I think that our listeners who have listened to the last couple of weeks um, or the last season uh, when I first started, they know that anytime that a guest talks about children's hearts and minds that I am in hook, line, and sinker. I was really um, impressed and encouraged to hear about uh, Halil's just heart for children and uh, his heart for essentially without using the term, he was talking about psychosocial care for children who've experienced trauma through um, the refugee crisis and hearing him talk about how important it is before, before he gets into whatever help he's going to be providing. Like he wants to understand and know what they're feeling. He wants to address that psychosocial aspect of care, which from my perspective as a clinical psychologist and working with trauma and children and teenagers and families, for me, like that is, that is just the nuts and the bolts of helping people to feel safe so that their brain is safe and their brain is on track so that they can learn and they can have that knowledge and they can have that education. So again, I was hook, line and sinker, very impressed and really excited to hear about all of the work that he's doing. Yeah. And I I know that you and I both talked about just the fact that he was so real, you know, it, it was, it was just, you could tell, I mean, he, you can tell when someone's just really being real and, and most of our guests are, but I think even with him, just with the light at the end of the tunnel question, you know, and he's like, well, to be honest, I don't see one. I hate to be a, a negative Nelly, but uh, that's where I'm at. So he of course didn't use that term because uh, he wouldn't have used that term, but you know, that, that's something that was really, uh, it was poignant to me. It was something that I knew when he was saying anything there that it was the real deal. He wasn't sugarcoating anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 true. It's authentic and I think that helps us and our listeners to understand the the seriousness of the situation that this isn't some rose-colored glasses, here's a Band-Aid to fix everything. This is a long-term situation that I think as believers we're called to really press into and pray through how we can best um how we can best help and 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 best educate and and receive knowledge for ourselves. Yeah, and this is this is one of a, a couple um, different episodes we're going to have during this this series that has actual you know people that are now working with organizations after being refugees themselves, and I think that's something that's so powerful as well is to see when people are able to overcome the trauma that, that happens and that, that they experience as a refugee and as having you know to be resettled somewhere, and are now able to help others overcome that same those same issues, and it's, it, that was something that really that really hit me. So, um, you know, I'm super encouraged by him. I hope you all out there are as well. Uh, and now, you know, we get to hear uh, a recommendation. We're down the Phil and Karen recommends part of the 
part of the show. And so, Karen, you you have the first one. I'm going to finish off the show with, with a second recommendation. So what you got for us? All right. So you guys heard me at the beginning of the show. We talked about resilience or resiliency. And so I wanted to provide a resource. It's not necessarily related to the refugee crisis, but I think it's um, appropriate and helpful for um, parents or caregivers. It's, it's helpful just to learn a little bit more about what does it look like to help your children um, become more resilient. And so the book that I'm recommending is by Dr. Peter Levine, and it's called Trauma Proof your, excuse me, trauma-proofing your kids, a parent's guide for instilling confidence, joy, and resilience. And so essentially this book is going to give you some more information on what is resilience and what does it look like to foster this in kind of a typically developing child. So what does this look like for maybe a child who hasn't experienced a significant amount of trauma or any specific trauma, but how do we help our kids to learn to overcome? How do we build up the good things in their story so that they have um, a foundation for success? Yeah, that'll be a great one. Um, and then the, the, I have one that is, is has been talked about. It was talked about last week with uh, Scott Arbiter, um, and it's a fantastic book. It's called Seeking Refuge. I was able to actually read it on my trip down to Peru last week, and it, I, I read it in one sitting. So um, I definitely recommend it. It's something that uh, I'm not just recommending because we've had them on the show, um, this is something that really does give you a deep understanding of what's going on with refugee crisis, how you can help, the issues that are involved, and it's something that is really, really powerful book that a lot of thought and experience went into. So I strongly recommend it again. It's Seeking Refuge, Stephen Bau- uh, Bauman, uh, Matt Sorens, and I'm blanking on the last the last guy who wrote it, but there's three authors to it. Um, so strongly recommend that, and I, I, I do hope and pray that you take what you learned today. I take you to these resources that you can you can see on thinkorphan.com. You can go check them out there. Check out the short the show notes for this show. Um, really dig into these issues deeply. Pray that you use all this stuff that you're learning uh, to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children children more and more each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.